Well, welcome to Journey Church. My name is Keith. I'm the lead pastor here of Journey and Ben. Just go ahead and look around you. You can see these are all the ones that did not want to wake up early for the 9 a.m. service. So uh, uh, I'm right there with you. There's just something about getting that extra sleep on a daylight saving day. Uh, I'm so honored that we get to spend some time together on this weekend, and I believe God's going to bless us in his word. We're spending some time looking at our vision, our mission, and core values here at Journey Church. We have a vision here at Journey. We believe in hope for everyone. We believe there's hope for everyone. Would you just say those three words with me? Ready? Hope for everyone. Let's say it one more time. Say it like you mean it like a preacher. Here we go. Hope for everyone. We don't want that just to be a tagline. We don't want that just to be something cute we say. We want this to be the reality that when we walk through the doors, there's hope for you. There's hope for the person behind you. We believe there's hope for everyone, that no one is, is, is out of the reach of God getting a hold of their hearts. So how do we accomplish this vision? It's through our mission. We want to transform the world, starting in Central Oregon, on a journey through faith, hope, and love in Jesus. These are the three things that abide, that remain. We go after these things that God would transform us, that he would make us more like him. And then we have four core values that really define who we are. It's what matters most. It, it frames up this mission. It's, it's what we do around here. We want to be relentlessly real. We want to be community creators, we want to be grace givers, and we want to be guerrilla lovers. And so this week, we're going to look at what it means to be relentlessly real. You know, God's never going to ask you to fake it till you make it. If there's ever a point where you ought to get real, it should be right here at church. You know, God is great enough that he can handle every burden. God is great enough that he, 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 he can heal every hurt. You know, God's not going to ask you to just look good when you're not doing good on the inside. You can get real with God, and you can get real with others. How do we know this? We look at the life of Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus, we begin to understand who God is. For Jesus is the fullness of God. He is God. And yet Jesus became a man so that we can get to know God even greater. And lest you ever think you have Jesus figured out, you can't. There's always going to be more to, to, to get to know in Jesus. You know, he is truly uh, unfathomable. He's unexplainable. And yet he makes himself attainable through having a relationship with him. Here you have almighty God who came to this earth as one of us. You have all powerful God who is willing to lay down his life for you. He could have jumped off that cross at any time. He could have done whatever he wanted because he had the power to do so. But he laid down his life so that you would know who he is. You have an all-knowing God. Jesus knows everything. He knows every thought that you've ever thought, every word that you've ever said. And yet he still loves you. This is what we find in Jesus. You will never fully understand it. That's why when you believe in him, you get to spend eternity getting to know him more. Even his own disciples didn't fully understand it. Even his own friends were confused at what he did and how he did it. Even his own family thought he was crazy at some point and tried to stop him. You see, in Jesus, you find that God's ways are not our ways. In Jesus, you find that he flips upside down our understanding of God so that we would truly know who God really is. 
It's in that place today. We're going to look at a story of Jesus found in the book of John, chapter 4. We're going to see what it means to be relentlessly real with God and what it means to be relentlessly real with one another. I hope you brought your Bibles. In the fourth chapter of the book of John is where we're going to uh, pick up today, and we're going to read the entire chapter. I'll dissect it as we go along so we understand what's being said, but more importantly, what is the application for our lives? John chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, the Pharisees are the religious elite of Jesus' day. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and you're going to note a number of parentheses in this chapter for the hearer to better understand what's taking place, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Let's pause in the story. This is what we call Bible drama. <laughs> drama is nothing new today. It has always been around. If there were reality shows in Jesus' day, this would have been one of them. Not just on TBN. You, you would have found this show all over the internet today. This is Bible drama. Here's, here's what's happening. The religious leaders are saying Jesus is baptizing more people than John, whose nickname is John the Baptist. So how can Jesus be baptizing more than the Baptist? This is some church drama here. Now, John wants you to know, Jesus isn't even baptizing. So Jesus, being God in the flesh, he's not into all this drama. If he was here, he'd say, save the drama for your mama. So here's what verse 3 says. So Jesus, having enough of the drama, he left Judea. Now, I don't have a map, so I need you to follow with me with my hand for just a moment. He left Judea. This is Judea. Do you see this? This is Judea. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. This is Galilee up here. He left Judea. He wanted to get far away from the drama to go up to Galilee. He, he loves this region. This is his hometown. He, he wants to head away from the religious drama, head up to Galilee. He wants to be with the blue-collar folk. He wants to hang out with his, his old cronies. But, but, but look at this. Look at this. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. So Judea is down here, Galilee's up here, Samaria is right in between. He had to go through Samaria. You want to take note of this because we're going to keep coming back to this fact. He had to go through Samaria. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. You can actually still visit this location today. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus is on a long journey from Judea to Galilee. And on this journey, we're told that he was wearied. This is what kind of God we have. The fullness of God became a man, and he submitted himself to the same human limitations we have. So he would get blisters just like we get blisters. He would be tired just like we get tired. He would be hungry just like we get hungry. He was wearied from his journey. For This is what happens in life. When you're on a journey, you get weary. And he comes to this location. It's about the sixth hour, which is about high noon. This is the beginning of the heat of the day. 
a time when people are beginning to relax. They've done the hard work and the cool of the morning. This is the time when you take your siesta. Uh, it's what we now call lunch. They would have this light meal, and people would typically be, be in the cool of the shade at, at this hour because it's beginning to get warm. And he finds himself at Jacob's well about a mile and a half from this, this small town, this, this city called Sychar. And it's here that we're going to see why Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to. Now, here's the reality. He did not have to go through Samaria. The reality is most Jews would never go through Samaria. See, Samaria is a really interesting region. Although it's between Judea and Galilee, it's a region with racial tension, cultural differences, uh, it's, a, it's a region where there might be such significant differences that people would typically go around Samaria to get to Galilee. In fact, if you were a Jewish man, particularly if you were a teacher, a rabbi, as Jesus was, you would never go through Samaria. The reason you wouldn't go through Samaria is what it represents. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll see a time in history in which the Jewish people, the Israelites, were taken into captivity. It's called the time of exile. God allowed them to be taken into exile into a foreign land. Not everyone went into exile. Some people stayed behind. So there were a few Jewish people left behind. And what happened was foreign people came into this region and cohabitated with the Jewish people that were there. And over time, they adopted their, their, their they, they melted their religious beliefs together. And they took their cultures and they brought them together. And so here you have a group of people that have a really interesting and diverse past. The Samaritans believed in some of the Jewish scriptures, but not all of it. They typically looked at the first five books of the Bible, but not the remainder. They didn't look at the Psalms or the, Pro, uh, the Proverbs or, or the wisdom um, of, of Solomon. They didn't look at the prophets. So here yet, they were mixing their belief with pagan gods. So fast forward to Jesus' day. Jewish people did not believe Samaritans were Jewish at all. In fact, they used very derogatory and even racial terms, or racial slurs. They would call them half-breeds. They would call them dogs. They considered the women of Samaria perpetually unclean, which means they could never get near a Jewish man. They could never get near a holy site. There was much tension between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And yet we're told Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to because he's a man on a mission. He's here to show us that God's ways are not our ways. He's going to flip upside down our understanding of race, of religion. He's really going to show us that the things that we think are right may not be right at all. So it's in this place that he comes to a well. And now we're told in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples, John tells us, had gone away into the city to buy food. It appears that Jesus knew exactly what he wanted to do by going through Samaria. It seems like he has a meeting in this place with a particular woman, and he asks her for some water. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, which in the Middle East, when you saw a stranger... You can ask for a drink and you would show hospitality to one another. 
But this instant is different. In this place, Jesus is alone, and he's speaking to a woman. We see all sorts of problems here. John notes to us that his disciples had gone into town to get some food. It appears that Jesus knew that these guys would mess up his mission. That although these guys were his students, they often misunderstood Jesus' ways. How many of us know that good intentions are not enough? These guys always had good intentions. When the little kids came around Jesus and they were, were making a lot of noise, they would, they would try to stop the little children from coming to Jesus because we certainly couldn't have little kids around Jesus. In fact, this was a day when kids could be seen but not heard. So here's what the disciples did. They rebuked the children. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And he brought the little children and he, he blessed them. And then he would take a child and say, actually, we've all got to become a little more like a child to get into the kingdom of heaven. And although his disciples had good intentions, they missed the mission of God. You see, God wants us to all know we're all just little children in his eyes. There's no such thing as an old person in God's eyes. There's no such... Amen. There's no such... There are no grandkids in God's eyes. You see, although the disciples have good intentions, they often miss it. Do you remember a man named Bartimaeus in the scriptures? Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is near. He can't see because he's blind. And Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is near. So he, he begins to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the disciples had really good intentions. And they rebuked Bartimaeus and said, hey, could you tone it down this a little bit? Jesus is coming. This is a sacred place and a sacred space. Let's just keep it calm. And Bartimaeus gets even louder. He gets wild and he starts shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That gets Jesus' attention. He loves wild worship. He loves it when you just make some noise to get his attention. And Jesus brings Bartimaeus near and actually heals him. So, so we got to understand, Jesus wanted to get his disciples out of there so, so he could do the work. He, he wanted to meet with this particular woman. He wanted to come to the well. He had to go through Samaria because he had a meeting. And he was willing to do what needed to be done. Notice verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John notes the obvious, if you don't know yet in the story, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. <laughs> don't, don't you understand? I know that you're Jewish. I know that I'm Samaritan. I know that you're a male, and I know that I'm a female. How could you ask me for a drink? You would be considered unclean by taking a drink from me. She knows full well the tension that's happening right here in this encounter. See, the Jewish men had a very famous and popular prayer in the days of Jesus. The rabbis would pray this publicly, even in front of their own wives. The prayer was incredibly simple, and it went something like this. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, which means a non-Jew. I thank you that I'm not a dog, and I thank you that I'm not a woman. That was a common prayer of the Jewish men in Jesus' day. You see, women were considered less than. They were not educated they were not trained in any particular trades. They were in a very vulnerable place. 
And the fact that Jesus asked this woman for some water says something very interesting about our God, that he might want something from you, not because of what someone else has said about you, not because of what you believe in yourself, but because of who he is. There could be a place today where Jesus actually wants something from you. He wants what you have to offer. You see, what you have in your life is something God wants to use for his good. And the very thing that you think could stop you from being used by God might be the very thing that God wants to use for his glory. Let me just explain that a little further. You could probably go to God with any number of excuses and say, how could you want to use me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, you might not be a Samaritan or a woman, but you could say, how could you want to use me? I'm just an alcoholic with a messed up past. How could you use me? I'm just a gambler. How could you use me? I've been divorced over and over. How could you use me? You know who I've been with. How could you use me? You know what I thought about. How could you use me? You fill in the blank for the excuse of saying, God, how would you want to use anything in me? Because if you really know me, then you wouldn't want, to, you wouldn't want me, to, me to give you what I have because you might think it's unclean. But I want you to know Jesus knows all of those things. And he still wants you to give him what you have. And I want you to look at verse 10 here. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, just point to your neighbor and say, if you knew. (laughs) All right, maybe point point to a different neighbor and then just preach it this time. Say, if you knew. (laughs) Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God. And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If if you just knew that what Jesus wants for you is not just what you have, but he actually wants to give you a gift. James describes God as, as the father of lights, who is the giver of good gifts. And here's what Jesus wants to give every single one of us today. He wants to give you a gift. And sometimes he wants to know, are you willing to give him something so that you would get something even greater, this gift? If you just knew what God has for you now, this gift, Jesus explains what it is. It's living water. It's an idiom in the days of old for a a spring of water, water that's constantly running, water that's moving, water that you know is life-giving because if water stands still too long, stagnant water breeds bacteria. Water that does not move breeds death, but water that moves gives life. And Jesus says, I'm able to give you living water, water that flows, Water that never runs out. Here you have the living water asking for some temporary water. Here you have the creator of water just asking for some of that which he created. Here you have the guy that parted the water in the Red Sea. The guy that stopped the water in the Jordan River. Just saying, give me a cup of that water. Here you have the well of living water sitting at the well trying to teach a lesson. Trying to show us that the gift that he has to offer is not just for the good folk. 
The, the gift that God wants to give you is not just for the religious folk. The gift that God wants to give you is not limited to a particular race, a particular gender, or, or a particular person who has lived good enough to get this gift. It's actually a free gift for those who are willing to receive it from the giver of good gifts. You can be broken. You could be wounded. You could be hurt. You could be so thirsty that God says, I want to actually quench that thirst. So she's confused, which I appreciate the honesty. The woman said to him, sir, she, she's polite. She's somewhat professional or politically correct. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Everyone say, sir, sir, do, do you ever get a little cynical with God, but you do it with some seriousness so he knows that you're serious? And do you ever ask God, how do you plan to do what you say you're going to do in my life? Excuse me. How do you plan to fix my messed up life? How do you plan to give me what you promised to give me? I know I ask that often of God. How are you going to do this? Could you just explain your ways before I actually receive what you're going to give me first? Can, can I understand where to get this, how to get this, what you're going to do before I actually read this? And at this point in the story, things get real, but now she's going to get really real. She's going to ask him, who do you think you are? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? the one who was named Israel, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Who, who do you think you are? Do you really think that you're able to give me something if, if I really knew about this? And, and Jesus, with love and patience, said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to where? Eternal life. This, this water will never run dry. So Jesus says, what you're going after is temporary, but what I have to offer is eternal. That what you woke up for today, when you walked here in the heat of the day, when you were judged by others because you were isolated, when all of the other women came in the morning with the cool kids so they could they could hang out and they would put their water on their their head together and they would talk about everyone she was isolated from community she was here all alone and when she would come to this water day after day in the heat of the day Jesus says actually I want to show you that the well that you've been trying to get there's actually something even better what you've been going after is temporary you see this this well is representative of the things that we go after in our life that really doesn't satisfy. See, Jesus begins to explain this gift, that gift that he, he said earlier, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a gift. He, he begins to explain that this gift he gives just keeps giving. It will, it will never run out. Just like John describes in chapter one, that Jesus gives grace upon grace. So the woman intrigued at this point said to him in verse 15, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. It's as if she throws up her hands and says, okay, tell me about where this spring is. If I don't have to come here in the heat of the day, if I don't have to come here alone anymore, if this is true, what you're really telling me, then tell me where it is. 
I sense at this point in the story, she's starting to see from Jesus what she thought was a pickup line. She's now starting to see something deeper. What she thought was one thing, she's finding it's another. She throws up her hands and says, I'm done coming to this well. Tell me where that water is. Now, all of us at some point in life will throw up our hands and say, I'm done. I'm done playing games. I'm done playing this religious game of trying to be better and going to church. I'm done playing this marriage of, uh, of, just, of just trying harder and it not getting better. I'm done in this singleness of, of trying to be, be, be somebody I'm actually not. I'm done with this addiction because it's not helping me. It's only hurting me. I'm, I'm done trying to be successful at work, yet I still feel empty in my heart. I'm done trying to be somebody on social media that I'm really not in my life. I'm done. So, so so tell me, how do, I, how do I get what you have to offer? It's a worthy question. I want what you're talking about, Jesus. Tell me where it is. Now, things go from real to relentlessly real. Jesus said to her in verse 16, well, go call your husband and come here. Let's go together. I'm not here to pick you up. I care about something much deeper I care about your heart, so I'm not here, honey, to go on a date with you. I'm not here to get what others are. So go get your husband and come back, and here's where things get relentlessly real. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Whoa, things just went from real to relentlessly real. Could you imagine showing up to church and we just go ahead and show a reel of your past? So this person has been with this person, that person, that person, and that person. And the one they're cohabitating with right now, do you know who that is? He's unwilling to commit. He's only using her could you imagine if we just did a highlight reel of your worst sins on the screen? Could you just imagine? What, I mean, here, here's the reality. Jesus is not judging her. For Paul tells us in Romans 8, chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's not here to condemn her. He's here to expose the reality of who she is, that what was done to her, that the things done in the past do not define her destiny. That what he has to offer is so much greater that he doesn't care about where she's been. He doesn't care about where, who she slept with. He cares about her heart. That although man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And the very thing you think might disqualify you from having a right relationship with God is actually the very thing that God just wants to start with. Can we just get this out? In the, I, I know you're hurt. I know you're, every one of us in this room are hurt. We're, we're broken. Every single one of us are broken. Most of us were broken as children, and that begins to define the rest of your life. Now, there are times where you get hurt at different seasons of your life, but our God's not afraid of your brokenness. He doesn't run from it. He doesn't, he doesn't find out that this lady's had five husbands and say, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were better than that. I've got to get out of here. I've got to find a new place to get some water. I've got to talk to somebody. No, he's not afraid of this. 
God, God's not afraid of your brokenness. Here's why. He's bigger, and he actually wants you to be healed. And you will only be as healthy as your secrets. And so Jesus cuts straight to the heart. He gets relentlessly real to go to this place of such severe brokenness that if we begin to understand this woman, if she's had five husbands, if she's been widowed five times, this is the most unluckiest woman on the planet. No man would want to marry her. But the reality is she's probably not widowed. She's probably been divorced over and over in a culture where women could not ask for decree divorce. The only way that a person could get divorced is if the man asked for a decree of divorce and he would give it then to his wife. And then she would be in a vulnerable place. She's left broken. She's left with the past. She's left with the burden and the reality that the world will judge her. And you could get divorced for any myriad of reasons. If a man did not like his wife's cooking, if he didn't like the way she aged, if he didn't like anything about it, if she looked at him wrong, he could divorce her, but she could not divorce him. So here's a woman that has been used. She's been abused. She's been looked over. And here she is now with another man that's unwilling to commit. And Jesus sees all of it. And he's not afraid. He doesn't run from it. And when, when he, he, he brings this reality, she shifts the topic. She changes the topic in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> Translated, that is creepy that you know all this. <laughs> Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. L let me just say, she, she tries to get spiritual with Jesus. You don't need to get spiritual with Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? Come on, sometimes we want to get all spiritual with Jesus, and sometimes even in our prayer, we want to get a little more eloquent to say, come on, Lord, I think you're going to hear me a little more if I just say some bigger words or something. You don't need to get all spiritual with Jesus. He knows everything. And so she tries to change the subject saying, you must be a prophet, but I know the Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship actually right here. So you have your way. I have my way. Can we just be okay with that? Go back to your way. And I have my way. This is just the way things are. But Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. Oh, if we would just get the, here's, here's what the whole message of Jesus is about. Believe me. It's not about knowing about Jesus. It's about believing Jesus. The gospel is the good news of not just knowing about Jesus. It's the good news of believing Jesus, that he could do for you what you could never do on your own. Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Translated, Jesus says this. It's not about where you worship that's important. It's not about worshiping over there or worshiping here. He says in verse 22, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. He's pointing to the scriptures. You only know a part of the truth, but the whole truth is found right here in this word. If you go to the scriptures, God reveals who he is. Look at verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father. I want you to know what Jesus says. The Father, he wants us to have a relationship with him like a father to a child in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking. Look at this. The Father is seeking such people to worship him he had to go through Samaria he is seeking even Samaritan women that are willing to worship him not at the right place but in the right way 
those who are willing to give their lives to God in an authentic way, saying, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. Here's, here's the thing. He's seeking those who are worship, willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, our God doesn't care what race you are. He doesn't care what family you were born into. He doesn't care what gender you are. He wants you just to get real with him and accept the gift that he has to offer you. And when you do, it ought to change everything. You, you just want to worship him. Do you see this? Where you worship is not important. It's how you worship. It's who you worship. So Jesus says in verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, the spirit is invisible. Truth is visible. Spirit is invisible, meaning you can fake it to a lot of people. You just can't fool God. For he is the spirit. So he actually can see what no one else sees. So he totally knows who's a true worshiper and who's not. Now he, he's not asking you to be perfect. He's just asking you to get real. So when you worship him in spirit and in truth, you worship him with your heart, but you also worship him with your life in obedience. You give God everything because God is spirit. So you want more of God in your life. See, Paul describes it this way in Romans 8 when he writes to the Romans. He says, when you have Jesus, it changes everything. Look at Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So when you believe in Jesus, God the Father gives you the Holy Spirit. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you realize you've been forgiven of your sins. You are set free. You're no longer a slave to sin. But now John chapter 1 says to all who did receive him who believe in his name, he calls you a child of God. And if you're a child of God, that's exactly what you are. He wants to write all of the wrong ideas that you have of God. He wants you to have a relationship with him like a father. Now here's the truth. We all have dads. All of us have broken dads. All of us have dads that have sinned. All of us have issues with our dads. Now, you may have had the best dad in the whole wide world, but unfortunately, your dad still wasn't perfect. He messed up somewhere. And what God wants to do is make sure that you have a right relationship with him, not the way you have a relationship with your earthly father, but something even greater. That just throughout the day, you would constantly come back to him and say, Abba, Dad, can we talk? Dad, Dad, would you teach me today? Would you show me your way? And when you receive the Spirit, it changes everything. Ephesians 2.18 says this, For through Him, Him is Jesus, for through Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Do you see this? When you believe in Jesus, God the Father gives you the Spirit. When God the Father gives you the Spirit, you now have access to worship Him because you have access to God. How? Through Jesus. God gives you His Spirit. So as Jesus is explaining these eternal truths to the Samaritan woman, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. That means the chosen anointed one of God, he who is called Christ. That's the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Do you see the progression of this relationship? The more you hang out with Jesus, the more you understand the Messiah. She goes from sir to prophet to Messiah. So you're just a guy asking for water. Well, you're treating me with respect. I'll call you sir. Well, you know more than I thought you knew. So what in the world's happening? 
This is the fluttery stuff that happens in your stomach that you fully, you can't, you can't fully describe. Sometimes we call these feelings, but other times it's when, when you come to church and you say, oh, the spirit was there today. Let me tell you that, that might've been working in you, but it may not have been working in someone else because God is doing something inside. You can't even explain it sometimes. You don't even have it figured out. And as you begin to ask these questions, well, I know the Messiah is there. And the Jews, by the way, are still waiting for the Christ. They do not recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And so she's saying, I know he will change everything. And I want you to see what happens next. If you've got your own Bible, this is where you want to circle this. You want to underline it. You want to put a star next to this. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What the world has been waiting for is found in Jesus. The one that Moses writes about in Genesis chapter 3 that will crush the serpent's head. The one that can forgive sins. The one that can do what only God can do because God has sent his only son. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to who? Not the greatest kings on the planet. Not the Roman emperor. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. Not to the Pharisees, not to the Sadducees, not to the scribes. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah first to the Samaritan woman. This is the one the world would say, oh, she's a half-breed dog. She's just a stinky Samaritan woman. She's no good. And Jesus says, no, no, she's the one. I want to know more about me. That I made her and she's fearfully and wonderfully made. I've got a good plan for her. I have an eternal hope for her. I have a spring of living water that's a gift that I want to give to her. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you get to know he's the Messiah. He gives you the revelation. He opens up your eyes to who he actually is. He's not just a good person. He's not just a prophet. He's the Messiah that came to save you of your sins. And it's just here in verse 27. Just then, this is where the Bible drama unfolds. There are all kinds of different camera angles as the reality show hides in the bush. Just then, the disciples came back. They marveled with gaping mouths wide open that Jesus was talking to a woman. Can I get a gasp there? <gasps> I mean, this is like some serious drama. But no one was willing to question him. No one was willing to say, what do you seek, Jesus? Don't you know there's Christian mingle and a bunch of other good options to find a Christian girl? Like, why would you do this here at the well with this? Jesus? Nobody asked him what they were thinking. Why are you talking to her? She's perpetually unclean, which means now you're going to be unclean. They marveled, not because they were worshiping Jesus, like this guy is great. They marveled because they missed the mission. They missed the fact that there could be hope for everyone. They missed the fact that Jesus wants to transform the world, even the Samaritan, through faith in him, hope in him, and love in him. But when you get relentlessly real with Jesus, you begin to understand that actually things are not always as they appear. What you thought was right may not even be right. I see this all the time in church. I don't like this. And the longer I'm in church, the more I find this is true. The people that you think have their lives together don't always have their lives together. Sometimes they have the deepest, darkest secrets. 
I don't like that because when they're exposed, often something implodes or the family unit hurts. But may I just declare today, you can get relentlessly real with our God. There is nothing too great for him. He's not going to be surprised when you confess your sin. Instead, the Bible tells us he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. So why would you bear that burden in your own heart? You can't hold on to that unforgiveness. You can't hold on to that addiction. You, you can't hold on to that thirst that you keep going to that well day after day and it's still not satisfying you. He is so great that he wants you to know who he is. So the disciples come. She looks at them and sees the open jaws. Look at verse 28. So the woman left her jar and went away into town. <laughs> she left her jar. She left her jar, not because she felt so judged by Jesus, and not because she, she had gotten what she came to receive in the first place. She had gotten something even greater. You see, what she woke up for that day was changed by Jesus. She went to that well expecting one thing and she got another because of Jesus. She left her jar. She went back into town and she said to all the people, look at verse 29. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So now she's getting relentlessly real with others. I know you all know who I am. So let me just tell you, he knows who I am. And could this be the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world? So verse 30 tells us they went out to the town and were coming to Jesus. This woman that others would have judged, this woman that we would, have, would think she's disqualified to do great things for God because of her past, it's actually that which you would think would disqualify that God would use the greatest. She becomes an evangelist, a preacher, a teacher. She becomes a living testimony of what God's able to do. That God actually can take our past and do something wonderful through that. See, you can get relentlessly real with Jesus and he still loves you. Because he's the living water. He wants to flush that out so that you would see who he is. Meanwhile, the disciples, let's go back to the drama. Verse 31, they were urging Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, when you experience Jesus, he's able to give you what nothing in this world is able to do. Food and drink, they're just temporary. They may be good, but the problem is you're going to yearn for it again. This is why fasting is so good. You, you give up something you love for something you love even more. That is Jesus. That, that when you're yearning for something you want to eat, you recognize that hunger inside of you. Do you have that same hunger for God? As the psalmist says, are you willing to taste and see that the Lord is good? Or are you willing to be like that deer that pants for streams of water to say, oh, I'm just so thirsty for God. I can't get enough of God. You see, Jesus says what I give is actually, it's, 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 it's permanent. It's not temporal. The things of this world are more like food and drink. You're going to always want more. You're always going to want more. And it will always let you down. That's why no matter what kind of great meal you have, you'll still get hungry again. You'll still get thirsty again. And the enemy will trick you in all sorts of ways to make you think that the thing you go back to will eventually satisfy you. Whether that's an alcoholic drink or whether that's, that's through another image or whether that's through a different drug, whatever that is, I, I, I want you to know that the enemy is a liar. Jesus said Satan's native tongue are lies. 
He's so good at lying, he'll even trick you that you begin to believe those lies. Which is why the Bible says you've got to armor up. You've got to protect yourselves against the fiery darts of the enemies, these lies. How do you do that? Through your faith. It's not, it's not believing a better you. You're as messed up as you think you are, or maybe worse. But in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. You're adopted into the family. He's now your dad, and you better not mess with your dad's kid. So, so you got to know he loves you so much, he wants to protect you. So now we see what this woman did. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. Your past might be the very thing God uses for others to experience who he is. The very thing you thought was holding you back might be the very catalyst to testify how great God is. All your pains, all your problems, that hiccup, that hang up, that hurt, uh, all your past can be used for the glory of God. Because you find out it's no longer about you. You point people to Jesus. Look, look at verse 41, and this is where we land the plane, and this, it just gets better. And many more believed. Th that's our dream here at Journey Church. If we've got a vision, hope for everyone, if this is going to be accomplished through the mission, we live this out through our core value of being relentlessly real. We want many more to believe. How? Not because of you. You're not the Savior. You don't have the Word of God. Many more believe because of His Word, because of Jesus, because of His Word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed, say this with me, the Savior of the world. So He's not a good man. He's not a prophet. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And your job is just to get real so that other people can see that what Jesus has to offer is for them as well. This, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He's offering this living water to you today. So many of you think that maybe because of your past, you've been disqualified, when, when in reality, he wants to use your past. And, and here's what I believe today. Just as Jesus waited at that well for this woman, he's been waiting for you. He's just waiting patiently. Don't you love our God? He, he will strip away everything that needs to be done just so he could spend some alone time with you and say, I've been waiting for you. Will you just give me what you, you came here to get so I can give you something even greater? There's a great exchange. This is important in your theology that when you give Jesus your sins, you better replace it with who he is. This is called the fruit of the spirit. So if you need what God has to offer, that's found in the spirit. You need more joy, you need more Holy Spirit. You need more patience, you're not going to get more patience by trying harder. How many know that backfires right in your face? You'd be praying to Jesus, oh, give me more patience. So he's going to test you in that, and here's why he's going to test you in that. Do you know what you need more of? Holy Spirit. You need the living water to satisfy in your heart what you can't do. You don't have an anger problem, you have a sin problem, and only Jesus can save you of your sins. You can't even save yourself. So, so when you, you come to God, you actually get what you need, which is the living water, which is the Spirit of God. He's able to give you exactly what you need. So I, I want to just give you an invitation. I want to invite the band up because I just want to give you a very important invitation to receive Jesus. I love that the Bible does not make this complex. The Bible does not say you better get right before you get right with God. The Bible doesn't say you better be good to receive the gift of God. Here's what the Bible says. If you believe it in your heart that Jesus died for all of your sins 
And if you're willing to confess it with your mouth that he did not stay dead, he who was without sin took your sin, but the very same spirit you get and believe in Jesus is the same spirit that rose him from the grave. So if you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. It changes everything. Now, like that woman at the well, you don't have to have it figured out. She didn't wait until she had the right degrees to go share about Jesus. She, she didn't have the whole Bible figured out. All she knew is that she needed Jesus and she got it. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you do need Jesus. That's the most important thing. It starts there. It, this is just a journey that starts with one step and it's an eternal step. It changes eternity. If you want Jesus, I would love to pray with you. For some of you today, this is for the first time. You've never given your whole life to Jesus and, and you're done. You're done trying things your own way. If, if that's you, today's your day. You could receive Jesus. It'd be the best decision you could ever make. For some of you, you, you need to come back to Jesus. You've been trying to do things on your own too long and you're tired. Jesus met with you today. He, he's spoken to you and you want to receive that gift. You know it's never too late with God. He's not going to shame you and guilt you for those years, maybe even decades. He's actually just going to love you. He just wants you to get real. So I'm going to count to three. I'm going to do this because I just want you to be bold. And if you want to receive Jesus for the first time or you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to throw your hand up as soon as I get to three. Just that you would be bold with Jesus. Because from, from this point forward, you got to be willing to tell the world, come see. It's not about me. Come see this guy that knows everything. Could this be the Christ? And if that's you, you're going to be bold today. You're going to profess before God and before others that you want to follow him. So I'm going to count to three and throw your hand up. One, two, three. Throw your hand up. I see those hands. Awesome. All over the room. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. If you're online, we would love to know if you made that decision today. Listen, there's nothing magical about throwing your hand in the air. What's a big deal here is, is you're willing to say, I need you, Jesus, because from this day forward, this is where it gets real. The enemy wants to lie to you and deceive you, try to make you feel guilty, try to make you think that somehow because of what you've done could stop you from God being used in your life. I want you to know he loves you too much. He, he wants you to call him Father, Daddy. So would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, we receive that gift today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, would you, we just profess this out loud with your lips for those who are doing this for the first time as a, as a family together. Would you say these words, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. I receive the living water and I am satisfied. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Can we celebrate Jesus?